You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. We're going into lesson number nine tonight, and um, we're talking about a series called Better, and uh, we have gone through uh, six lessons out of Leviticus, and we're into the book of uh, Hebrews, and this will be lesson three tonight out of the book of Hebrews, so we're in lesson nine, and we've been talking about the new covenant being better than the old covenant. And uh, we've been going through a series uh, talking about uh, better. And so what we've done so far in the book of Hebrews is we've talked about the superiority of Christ's identity and how superior he is, obviously understanding who he is and how powerful that is. Last week we talked about the superiority of Christ's priesthood, and he has become our high priest after the order of Melchizedek and such wonderful things um, about the priesthood of God, obviously is he was before um, the Levitical priesthood. And uh, what's so wonderful about it is he is not only our priest, but he's also our king. Amen. I thank the Lord for that. And tonight we're talking about the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. And so... Uh, We have too many chapters to try to cover in one night, but we're going to try our best just to give some highlights. And so we'll be going through chapters 8, 9, and 10. Um, And so we'll just start a little bit with uh, chapter 8, and I'll read to you the first five verses, and um, we'll do some teaching. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifice. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example in the shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Uh, For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shewed uh, to thee in the mount. Um, Although today believers may not struggle with the kind of the tension between the Levitical priesthood and the Uh, the priesthood of Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek, we must still retain a strong emphasis that uh, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us. So in a sense, the book of Hebrews uh, as set kind of in this um, talking about the rituals or the Mosaic law is that we find salvation exclusively in Jesus Christ. Hebrews shares with us that there is no other recipe. 
There is no other way. Uh, if anyone is preaching a different way today than Jesus Christ, they are not preaching the truth. Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. And so you see in verse 1 that he speaks. Verse 2, the tabernacle which God instructed Moses to build was really just a, a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. Uh, you'll see in this verse, this little passage that I read to you, inherit to uh, him being a high priest under the law of Moses was the requirement, of, obviously under the law, to offer gifts and sacrifices. And so since Jesus is our high priest, uh, it was necessary for him to offer uh, sacrifices and to give gifts. And, of course, he did the sacrifice by offering himself. That is the sacrifice. That's the ultimate sacrifice. You can't give a greater sacrifice than offering yourself. And so Jesus offered a sacrifice uh, for the sins to, to make an atonement for the sins of the world. And, and, and uh, he didn't just leave it at that, as in offering sacrifices. He said, I'm also going to offer gifts. Uh, maybe, obviously, the greatest gift that we know is the infilling or the gift of the, of the Spirit. Uh, he didn't leave us uh, without himself. He didn't leave us comfortless, but he offered himself that he would fill each and every one of us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He goes on to uh, also offer many other gifts that are known throughout the Scriptures, and you see them uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament. Uh, verses 4 and 5 of, of this chapter, if the priesthood of Jesus was limited to uh, earthly realm, then he wouldn't obviously qualify uh, to be uh, the high priest because he was a descendant of the tribe of Judah. But thankfully, uh, Jesus is not just earthly. He was God Almighty sitting on the throne who became flesh that each and every one of us would understand. So the law of Moses was to uh, be served by the priest descending from Levi, but uh, uh, it was actually still just a copy and a shadow of heavenly things to come. Uh, aren't you thankful that the Lord came down from on high? Amen. Amen. He, he came down from on high to be our supreme sacrifice. The superiority of Christ's sacrifice has so little comparison to how the sacrifice was offered uh, underneath the law. And we're going to talk about that tonight. The ministry of Jesus is superior uh, to that of the Levitical priesthood because of the covenant under which he functions is superior to the Mosaic covenant. Um, that is not diminishing or belittling what the law was or, or trying to make it of, of no value. It was valuable for thousands of years. But when Jesus came on the scene, one aspect of the superiority is that he established a, a better promises, the Bible says. Better promises were available. Uh, now, I'll just I'll read to you what verse 6 says, because this is what it says. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Uh, when Jesus came to be the supreme sacrifice, the superior sacrifice, not only was it better than the old covenant, but he didn't come 
without being the sacrifice himself, offering gifts to those who would receive, you and I. And then the scripture says he came offering better promises. Better promises. Um, uh, the significant point of comparison between the two covenants is that the old covenant itself did not offer the promises that you and I have tonight. Well, I'll give you uh, the most valuable promise that it didn't offer. The old covenant didn't offer eternal life. There was no promise of eternal life with the old covenant. But with the new covenant, not only does he become the sacrifice and our sins are forgiven, but you and I have a promise tonight that goes well beyond this world. That is not a small promise. That is an eternal promise. That is an everlasting promise. That is the greatest of all promises tonight, that you and I would spend eternity with him in heaven. Folks, that's not beyond our imagination tonight. That's coming quickly. That is fastly approaching. Uh, not only that people from uh, this world that are here may see the second coming of Jesus Christ, but you and I preparing ourselves tonight that if we didn't live another day, we get to spend eternity with him, amen, on the other side. The new covenant is better than the old covenant because of the promises are better. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Verse 7 of the chapter 8 says, the first covenant here is the covenant God established uh, with Israel in Mount Sinai. But here you say, see in verses 8 to 12, the book of Hebrews quotes the, it, it quotes the entirety of Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, which is maybe one of the most uh, detailed statements in the Hebrew scriptures concerning the new covenant. Not only was uh, uh, the old covenant not greater than the new covenant, but you see what happens in Jeremiah that is written, uh, and maybe we'll read that. Do we have those scriptures that we can read? Uh, because uh, I, I think it would be important for us to uh, maybe share those tonight. Jeremiah 31, and begin with verse 34. Um, and these, this, this passage is, is shared here in Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, and he shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know him, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun a light by day, um, and... Uh, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea, when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Uh, if you go back, and you can go back to verse 31 and read all the way through to verse 34. Um, what's powerful in verse 34 is this idea of the promise of the new covenant is greater than the old covenant in that your sins are remembered no more. Now, it doesn't mean that God's forgetful. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have the ability to know all things. He knows all things. But he makes a decision 
that whatever has been forgiven is not going to be used against you any longer. Now, in the society that we live in, that is a very important point of your walk with God. People will bring up things you did before. People will remind you of terrible things you said or did or went or whatever. People have the ability to remember, it seems like, the worst things the most. But what's so interesting about the Lord, and he uses this passage of Jeremiah 31 here, um, that the new covenant that he was going to make with his people, that he was going to establish this covenant, that he would remember their sin no more. We use phrases like in the sea of God's forgetfulness, and we use phrases like that. But the power of what's being spoken is that it's not that God all of a sudden loses his memory. No, what has been under the blood remains under the blood. Aren't you thankful that when the Lord forgives you, that's it with what has happened ever before? Doesn't matter what man brings up. It doesn't matter what people say. When God has forgiven you, he remembers it no more. Man, what a powerful, powerful thought of how God views you. If anyone would have the right to remember it, it would be God. But he chooses for you and I to be ultimately forgiven that it's remembered no more. The old covenant couldn't do that. The old covenant did not remove the remembrance of what happened. But the new covenant does. Well, I don't know how great of a promise that seems to you, but that's a great, that's a better, that's a more powerful promise. That's, that's a greater illustration of what God can do. Um, there's at least four ways the New Testament reveals that you and I, the church, participates in this new covenant that we're talking about. First, uh, Peter declared uh, that the work of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost fulfilled the, the prophecy of, of Joel. And what was being prophesied in the Old Testament was during the Old Covenant. But when Peter quotes it, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is on the day of Pentecost. A fulfillment of something that happened under the old covenant. Um, well, I'll explain it this way. In the Old Testament, they're moved on by the Spirit. You can see that in multiple people's lives. And as powerful and as wonderful as that was, that did not compare to the new covenant, when you would be filled with the Spirit. Not moved upon, but filled with. Not a little tingling, but out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. An example of the church being involved in this new covenant. Secondly, Jesus commanded the church to uh, memorialize the Lord's Supper 
at which he established the new covenant. So the Lord's having his last uh, time with all the disciples together. And uh, it was a custom of the day for someone to be available to wash the guest's feet. And the Lord takes the bowl and the towel and he exemplifies what a servant should be. And in that moment, he shows his disciples, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve. I want you to serve. And while you're doing that, I want you to keep in remembrance something very powerful. The Bible says he, at this last supper, he, and we see this, we use it for communion on a regular basis. He, he blessed the bread. And he broke it and gave it to his disciples. It represented the brokenness of his body. And the vine, which represented the shedding of his blood. And we're to memorialize in the new covenant how powerful of a relationship you and I have because of the brokenness of Christ's body and the shedding of his blood. Again, a representation that what the sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament could not do. It became better for you and I because the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ. So the church, all of us sitting here tonight, all of us get to participate in this new covenant by first the infilling of the Spirit, secondly by the new covenant of understanding His broken body and the shedding of His blood. Thirdly, the blessing of the new covenant includes uh, justification or regeneration or sanctification. These are, these are uh, things that the church enjoys. So if you want a, a, a simple uh, definition of justification, it's just as if I had never sinned. Man, that's, that's a powerful statement. Just as if I had never sinned. The old covenant couldn't do that. Only the new covenant could do that. Regeneration. The old covenant couldn't regenerate my life. It couldn't regenerate something inside of me that brought to life again. But the new covenant, I was born again. Something powerful in the new covenant when you and I are not living the old life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You and I are a new creature in Christ Jesus. A born again experience. A regenerated life. A sanctified life. Separated unto God. This is because of the new covenant. The church enjoys all of these blessings. And lastly, uh, Paul declared that uh, he and the, the other apostles were ministers of the new covenant. You and I not only get to experience it, but we get to share it. Share it. Um, the wonderful thing about that is it's not just for a few. It's not just a certain group that can go in before the Lord. It's not certain individuals that qualify. No, no. The new covenant is not only were, were, were Paul and the apostles part of it, they ministered to those who got to be part of it. And so what a, 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 
I guess, a celebration tonight of how better the new covenant is than the old. Again, think about it. You got the Spirit of the Lord living inside of your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Got to quickly go on. Chapter, chapter 9. Um, if you look at, and I won't read them all tonight, but uh, the first um, uh, 10 verses or so, I'll just, I'll, I'll read verse 1, nine, chapter 9, verse 1. Then verily the first covenant hath also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Um, uh, the covenant of God, in chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews uh, says established, the covenant that was established with Israel at Mount Sinai had ordinances, and it says they were of divine service. Um, but they were characterized by an earthly, an earthly sanctuary or tabernacle. And you can go through uh, the first um, 10 verses, and it'll give you a description of what it was like in the Old Covenant under uh, the Mosaic Law, the tabernacle. It'll go through all the pieces of furniture. It goes through the altar, and it goes through the labor, and the candlestick. And you can read it all in those first 10 verses. And it was, it was that way because it was an earthly tabernacle. But the tabernacle in the new covenant is greater. It's so much greater. What's so powerful about it, Paul says that you are the temple. You and I become the temple. The altar is available to you and I. The cleansing of the labor represented by baptism is is available to you and I. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to start every service with everyone getting rebaptized? <laughs> this process is a continual process that cleanses your life on a continual basis, that you come before God and you and, and because of, of this uh, heavenly tabernacle, you and I have an access, we have an advocate. With the Father, amen, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace to obtain mercy, and we don't all have to start by being rebaptized each Sunday. Wonderful. Under the old covenant, it always had to be done the same. Day of Atonement was different, but they had to, uh, they had to do it on a daily basis, a regular basis, because it was an earthly sanctuary, an earthly tabernacle. But you and I, because of Jesus Christ, have access, amen, to the heavenly tabernacle. The new covenant's better than the old. You got to come into church tonight with whatever way you, your day went, and you get to come into the presence of God because uh, you have access. You have access. I'm thankful that my access to God is not dependent upon someone else. I'm thankful. Amen. Um, so, uh, because of his holiness, the sanctuary of the first covenant was, it was earthly. Um, that is not the, the true tabernacle, chapter 8, verse 2 says. But there's a heavenly thing. There's a heavenly tabernacle. 
And as long as the covenant was focused on the earthly tabernacle was in effect, then the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. The tabernacle itself and the rituals associated with it was, it was really just symbolic. They went through a process, and there was a particular process, and the high priest was the only one allowed into the holies of holies. But it was really symbolic of what God was preparing for the new covenant. That's why at Calvary, when he said, it is finished, he had completed everything he came to do. When that was accomplished, then that veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And you and I have access into the holies of holies because of the heavenly tabernacle. There was a greater and more perfect tabernacle to come. The Bible says not constructed, chapter 9, verse 11. It wasn't constructed with human hands. Amen. This is a heavenly tabernacle. The significance of the tabernacle as a symbol for greater things to come uh, is seen in the 50 chapters in the Bible. There's 50 chapters that deal uh, specifically with the instruction relating to the construction and the rituals of the old tabernacle. 13 chapters in Exodus, 18 in Leviticus, 13 in Numbers, 2 in Deuteronomy, and 4 in Hebrews. And the importance of that tabernacle is evident but it's still just a shadow. It is just a symbol of how great the tabernacle was that he was making available to you and I. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, that he has taken up residence in your life. You don't have to wait for a certain day, a certain location. You don't have to wait for someone else to be involved. Because you have become the temple of the Holy Ghost, you can wake up each morning and say, I'm coming boldly into the throne room of God's presence this morning. No one else has to be involved. I'm coming, amen, into his presence because of the heavenly tabernacle, Jesus Christ. The superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Amen. Verse 11, chapter 9, in contrast to the temporary and the symbolic ministry of the earthly tabernacle of the Levitical priesthood, Jesus Christ is the great high priest associated with the great and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is, not of creation. When Christ entered the the most holy place um, in reference to heaven itself. It's speaking about the sanctuary, not earthly, but rather heavenly. And here's, here's what happened when Christ entered that heavenly tabernacle himself. He went in with his own blood, not the blood of a bull or a goat. His blood stands in stark contrast to the blood of goats and calves, which the high priest offered under the law. It demonstrates the superiority of a new and better covenant. The old did not take away sin. The blood of animals was merely just a pale shadow of the blood that would completely 
and ultimately and finally removed sin that it was remembered no more. The entrance of Jesus Christ into that holy place bought eternal redemption. Eternal salvation. You and I have access to spend eternity with the Lord. And that's what was purchased. Not with bulls and goats and calves. No, no, it couldn't be done through that. But when Jesus offered his, his blood once and all and for all, eternal redemption. This is the word that's translated for redemption. It has to do with making a ransom. He paid the ultimate price for you and I. When we should have paid with death, he said, I'm going to step in and provide a ransom. That's what the word redemption means. He took and paid the price, and it was paid for with his blood. The blood of Jesus provided the payment necessary to satisfy the righteous judgment of sin. Verse 13 of chapter 9 says, the, the blood of bulls and goats refers to the sacrifices in the day of atonement. And the high priest first offered the blood of a bull for his own sin and then the sins of his family. And then he offered the blood of a goat for the sins of the people. And you even see in there in verse 13, it, it talks about the ashes of a, of a heifer. And it refers to the ritual under the law in which an, an unblemished red heifer was slaughtered. That was done outside the camp of Israel and then burned and its ashes was mixed with running water and was sprinkled on an unclean person or thing, providing a cleansing or a ritual for the defilement. And the point is that these rituals provided sanctification merely for the purifying of the flesh. I want you to catch this. Everything that happened under the old covenant was for the cleansing of the outside. You see that in the sacrifices of bulls and goats and calves and the ashes of a red heifer. It was the cleansing of the flesh or the outside of a person. And this characteristic of the entire sacrificial system is what the law of Moses represented. And animal sacrifices were not going to be anything more than just ceremonial cleansing. They couldn't take care of the conscience. They couldn't take care of your heart. They couldn't cleanse the mind. They were ceremonial rituals. And I understand the importance. And you have today even the reintroduction uh, of red heifers that are being produced even as we speak. But all of those things will only accomplish ceremonial cleansing. What the blood of Jesus Christ did is it wasn't just a cleansing for the outside. 
It's what changed our mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Paul said, listen, I want to do what's right. And every time I try to do what's right, I end up doing what's wrong. You can read it in chapter 7 of Romans. He said, I just seem to fall back into the same trap over and over again. Thou, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Something happens on the inside with Christ's blood. It's not just a ceremonial cleansing of the outside. It changes the heart. It changes the mind. It changes the spirit. There's something that happens with the transformation of a person when the ultimate sacrifice is applied. The new covenant, folks, is better than the old covenant because what the Levitical offerings could not offer was a change on the inside. Christ offered himself. That's what the scripture says. Through the eternal spirit. The statement does not, uh, or the statement demonstrates that God did not forsake Messiah on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's in the context of going back to Psalm 22 when it's quoted. It is a poetic expression of the aloneness of the Messiah that's experienced in his human existence, of, of, of the point of this ultimate crisis that he's up against. And, and he's, he's taking upon himself the sins of mankind. And it's hard to bear the sins of mankind. That's why he prayed in the garden. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my flesh. That's not what's most important. That goes all the way back to just the ceremonial rituals and cleansing. But there's something that goes deeper. Goes straight into our heart, into our mind, into our spirit. And he offered, the Bible says, himself, the accomplishment of him as the Messiah. The statement that Christ offered himself through the eternal spirit means that uh, in the power of the divine spirit, the servant or the Messiah accomplished every phase of his ministry, including the crowning phase, which was the transgressions of people being Absolutely removed. Aren't you thankful that no matter what has happened in your life, when you understand that you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, there is a freedom and a liberty that you have inside. Not just on the outside, but inside. You think differently. You, your heart reacts differently. Your spirit lives differently. Something has happened on the inside because the ultimate, the ultimate has happened. 
transgression has been removed. You can take the worst of sinners, and when God's blood is applied to their life, their lives can be free. See, it's hard for us to comprehend that because we think that, well, there should be a certain amount of a time period or a certain length of, of uh, proving. Or No, that's, that's not how God's blood works. His blood takes no matter what the circumstances. Oh, there may be consequences to sin. We still have that in our world today. There's consequences to sin. But that doesn't change the fact that the ultimate power of Jesus' blood removes the transgression from being used against the person when it comes to God. Jesus offered himself. He was a willing sacrifice. He was a sacrifice, the Bible says, without spot. And that Jesus offered himself does not suggest a, uh, that there's multiple people in the Godhead. And it's significant to understand that. The English Christ is translated or transliterated as the Greek Christos, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah or Messiah. Both words mean anointed one. Christ is always a reference to his genuine humanity and his anointed deity. And because he was both God and man, he has the power, all power, in heaven and earth belongs to him. He has the power to transform your life by removing transgression. That's the ultimate sacrifice, church. That's the superiority of his sacrifice in comparison to anything else. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we... Mm -mm. I'm only halfway through chapter 9. By virtue of his death, Christ qualifies to be the mediator of this new covenant that we're a part of. And the placement of the old covenant with the new covenant is a major theme you see throughout the whole book of, of Hebrews. But the chief characteristic of the new covenant is that it, is, that it provides redemption from sin over sin. Removes sin. It's the chief theme. When you're reading the book of Hebrews, you've got to keep in your mind, this doesn't just push sin. This removes sin. And the death of Jesus provided redemption uh, of the transgressions under that first covenant. Redemption from sin was necessary so that, that, that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. You and I get to be joint heirs with him. That's what the scriptures, you're no more a foreigner and a stranger. You're not on the outside looking in. You are a joint heir with Christ. And the, the sacrifice that was given explains um, all of that. If you look at uh, chapter 9, verses uh, 16 and 17. Maybe we'll read that. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 9. For where a testament is, 
there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Uh, he, he's basically given us the same example of a last will and testament. He says, the will is really of no value until the person dies. And the writer of Hebrews, in order for a will or a testament to be in effect, the death of the one making the testament had to be necessary. And so the new covenant required uh, only the death of Jesus Christ to be established for everything to be put in motion. You want to say, for the executor to have power, Jesus had to die, and then the dis disbursements of the estate could take place. Didn't matter about the regards or wishes of anyone else. The scripture says that he was the writer of the last will and testament. Why is that important? Well, that's important because there's no probate with God. <laughs> you don't have to worry about his will being probated. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to get to obtain the inheritance of what he's provided. He died, rose again, and ascended. And because of that, you and I get to live with the inheritance that's provided. You are going to spend eternity with him. Where I am, he says, there you may be also. His will has been written. He died. It was enacted. You and I become the people of inheritance of his will. You are a joint heir. It's not just scripture that you read that say, well, that's a nice, nice little scripture. No, no, no. This is the enactment of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, that where he is, that you would be also. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He said, I'm going to come to you. These are the promises. These are the better promises. I'm going to let you experience the spirit. I'm going to fill you. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You're going to get to experience the promises that are much better in the new covenant than they were in the old covenant. And the greatest of those, obviously, is eternal life. Okay, I gotta, I gotta jump. I'm not, I'm not gonna get to chapter ten. Uh, let's let's read a few verses here from chapter ten as I try to get it in. Uh, let's begin with verse one. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered a year by year continue to make the comers thereunto perfect. Uh, basically what he's saying, listen, this, this is um, 
It couldn't be accomplished by what was happening under the old covenant year by year. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged uh, should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh unto the world, he say, Sacrifice and offerings, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He said, What the old couldn't do, something was coming that was better. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He taketh away the first covenant, that the second may be established. By the which will he, uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. No more sacrifice has to happen. Jesus Christ paid it once and for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. What they were doing could never remove sin. But this man, after he had offered one, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, a place of power, authority, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. <laughs> you, you, you talk about the writer of Hebrews just putting a little extra icing on the cake. All the power and the authority belong to the Lord. And the enemies is just, they're no more than his footstool. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness for us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. This is the new and the better covenant. I want you to see the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. It's written in this verse. I will put my laws into their hearts, and into their minds will I write them. This is not just something for the outside, the ceremonial rituals, but there's something that happens on the inside. He takes our stony heart, and he gives us our heart of flesh, which is moldable and pliable. He said, I will write them on their hearts and minds. That's why the new covenant is so much more powerful than the old covenant. He changes the inside. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That could make you dance right there on a Wednesday night. Sins and iniquities will he remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Notice now. By a new and a living way, which he hath consecrated for us 
through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That's a powerful verse. Not only was the veil of the temple rent, but he gives us the symbol that his own flesh was rent. The consecration, the remembrance of that, that last supper, the, what we use uh, for an example of communion, the renting of his flesh, that you and I could be changed on the inside and having an high priest over the house of God. The last verse in Hebrews that speaks about him as a high priest. Let us draw near, he said, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You know how I just put that in Carter terms? We've got no excuse. He's paid the ultimate sacrifice, and sin is no longer remembered against you. Take a hold of your faith. Hold fast to it without wavering. We've got every opportunity to be saved. We've got every opportunity to be cleansed, for he is faithful that promise. Hallelujah. It's not just an earthly tabernacle form or shadow any longer. It is a heavenly tabernacle. Hallelujah. You have become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Ah. Let us consider one another to, to provoke unto love and to good works. Tell this good news to every person you know. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what you did tonight. You came to the house of the Lord. We got to make sure we're coming as often as possible. He said, even the more. Uh, he said, even the more um, as you see the day approaching. The supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ is superior. Got lots more pages, but. We'll maybe end it with that. I thank God that his sacrifice was superior to anything that was ever offered before. I can't even fully comprehend what happened at Calvary. It's hard to even imagine what took place that day. But I do know that I get to stand here. I get to be in his presence because he paid the price. He paid the price that I owe. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.